Confessions, Confessions of an Esthetician, where we look at propagating the tools necessary for accessing our own health. It is my true belief that managing our health is within our grasp and what tools are out there to help us achieve that goal. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm excited that you're here. Please enjoy this episode. Today I am joined by Miss Ayla Alt. She is a licensed social worker and marriage and family therapist candidate. She was referred to me by a friend of mine as a therapist, and I was looking for a couples therapist, and she does individual and couples and family as well. And I love what she has to bring to the table when she talks about when to seek therapy, whether that be individual or family or couples, how to level up your relationship if you are seeking out couples. I love what she touches on later about the ooey-gooey stage of a relationship, which naturally, from my perspective, means the first three months. But she talks about how do you access that part of your relationship five months in, five years in, and 50 years in, and what does that look like for your relationship? It's not going to be the same for everybody. Ooey-gooey has a different definition. And I really like that she has that goal set in mind. She touches quite a bit on healing attachment styles, and there are some resources in the show notes about different attachment styles and guides there. She talks about what do the letters behind a therapist's name mean? If you are seeking out therapy, how do you find somebody who's a good match for you? And she gives some accessible ways to find a good therapist, somebody who matches with your personality and what your needs are. So I really appreciate the conversation that we had here today. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really, our goals today are to add some value to each of our listeners, whether you've been in therapy for decades or maybe you're kind of playing with the idea of getting into therapy or maybe you've had a negative experience, really to kind of touch on some values that we can infuse in terms of benefits of therapy and build out some of the scariness, take out some of that scariness of couples or individual therapy. And Ayla is not just a licensed social worker and a marriage and family therapist candidate. She has so many tools in her toolkit and she's a very holistic practitioner. And I'm really excited for her to kind of bring in some of these approaches that she has and philosophies that she has today that can help give you some ideas um, about where you can go moving forward in the world of therapy. So Ayla, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Very excited. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I was referred to you actually by a really, really, really dear friend of mine, and I have minimal experience with couples therapy, but I've been in individual therapy for many, many years, and I'm so glad our paths have crossed because it sounds like you have some really interesting philosophies, Mm. and I would love if you could expand a little bit on what that looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything in particular you'd like me to start with? So I know that you're a licensed social worker and then marriage and family therapist candidate. 
I'm not sure I quite understand the difference in how that works. Um, mm -hmm. Really, I'm, my hope today is to touch on how listeners could find a therapist. And is this something that they should be looking for? How do you find the right fit? Yeah, right. Because you're looking for a therapist and there's all these letters behind their names. And what do they even mean? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I remember when I decided to get my dual licensure, I was like, well, I have a very short name. I can add extra, <laughs> I can extra letters there. There's room. <laughs> That's a cute idea. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, these different licenses have to do with the different fields in which I practice. So okay. the three you, you, you will usually see is social work, marriage and family therapy, and then um, counseling or psychology. So you'll see a psychologist as well. Psychologists have to have a PhD, okay. whereas a counselor, social worker, or a um, marriage and family therapist, they really only need a master's degree okay. in order to be able to get their license in practice. And you do have your master's degree I do. from the University of Denver. I do, yes. So I got my master's degree in social work, and then I did a postgraduate certificate program here in Denver at the Denver Family Institute in in marriage and family therapy. And because of the really wonderful program that we have at Denver Family Institute, I also work there, so I might plug that a little bit. <laughs> um, we ha actually are able to get licensed directly through DORA. DORA acknowledges us as educationally equivalent, which means that I can apply for my license in mar marriage and family therapy, even though we're like maybe four classes short of a master's program. That's cool. So essentially like having two master's degrees. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You are definitely an overachiever. And <laughs> <A little bit. laughs> one of the things I loved, not just in talking to you, but it also when I read your bio, I just realized there's so much that you do that's not mm. even, that's kind of within the same realm, but outside of the therapy world. I mean, I know that you are a Reiki master. Is I that am. true? Mm -hmm. Yes. And how cool and how how would you intertwine those or are they intertwined? Are they totally separate? What does that look like? That's a really great question. And yes, <laughs> or the typical therapist uh, answer. It depends. Oh, um, I love that answer right? for most things. So Reiki, for folks who don't know about Reiki, Reiki is from a Japanese tradition um, of healing energy, right? So energy healing. And um, that was kind of my own personal journey of coming into Reiki, becoming a, a Reiki practitioner. And it's, it's, been alongside my journey of my own therapy as well as becoming a therapist, but it's also separate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you mentioned that holistic piece and the way I practice. Reiki is a part of that sometimes with the right client and the client who's interested in it, but it's also a healing modality in and of itself, right? Therapy, talk therapy, somatic therapy are all different modalities, right? Mm -hmm. But they're all healing modalities. I know before we, we um, jumped on here, our conversation prior to the podcast starting, you had mentioned that there are specific kind of flavors mm -hmm. of different um, training yeah. for therapists. And it sounds like the Reiki fits. Could you go over a little bit of the licensed social work and how that, mm -hmm. how that approach varies from the other different types? Definitely. And I just want to first off say a good therapist is a good therapist, whatever their license is, right? It has more to do with the training they've, they've received, how they practice, you know, what are they focusing on, right? So a different license might fit better with a different um, type of modality or different client population that a therapist is working for. Um, so social work and marriage and family have a lot of uh, crossover, right? Mm -hmm. Social work is a really large field, right? From the, the macro nonprofit um, larger systems work to, you know, community, um, 
community building and um you know, community gathering and, and kind of doing that mezzo layer, whereas I practice more on the micro layer. I do direct cl- uh, client work, right? Okay. So that's that's kind of how social work is. And the, the key piece around social work philosophy is that person and environment um, idea, right? That the person is always directly affected by the systems in which they live, right? Yeah. Be that, you know, our government, our globe, the family they grew up in, the connections they have with individuals, where they can get their groceries, right? Do they live in an urban area or a rural area? All of those different pieces have an effect on the individual's well-being. Yep. That's really interesting. And so from that perspective, a therapist within that realm might look more at the whole picture Mm -hmm. in therapy. Yes. Okay. It's a lens, essentially. It's more of what we would call a systemic lens. Okay. Um, And marriage and family therapists do that as well, right? So marriage and family therapists are a more direct field. They're more... If you, get, if you get a master's in marriage and family therapy, you're probably going to be a therapist. Whereas if you're getting your MSW, your master's in social work, you might do a lot of different things. Uh. Right? So there's some flexibility from like a pursuer's idea <laughs> um, versus the marriage and family therapist, right? You're probably going to be a clinician working with married, with uh, married, you know, married folks and different relationships and families and, and things like that. Okay. Um, now, licensed psychologists, right, or licensed counselors is probably what you'll see more often. They're more likely to um, be focused, and this isn't for everyone, so I, I do want to just recognize I'm making some some generalizations, right? Yeah. But counseling psychology is more focused on, you know, diagnoses and or the individual themselves, okay. right? So not looking as much at the relationships, but definitely looking at your anxiety, for example, or your depression, like really specializing in that more individual focus. Um, and again, that can be really, really helpful, right? But yeah. I chose social work. I chose um, my MFT program because I truly see the world, right, in that more systems, global, you know, holistic picture. And that would explain why when I read through your bio, you have a million different <laughs> trainings and licensures and certificates um, all kind of in the same kind of environment. Yeah, in that realm. That totally makes sense. And I imagine that this path is a reflection of kind of how you see healing. Mm-hmm. If you were to say that you could pinpoint certain patterns that you see now, you actually let me back up for a second. You work with both couples and individuals. Do you also work with families? I do, but less so. Okay. Um, but I, do, I am trained to be able to work with families as well as couples and individuals. Um, yes. So okay. my, but my, my personal focus is mostly on individuals and couples. Okay. Do you ever, this is kind of a side question that I thought of, um, do you ever work with like polyamorous groups? Yes, I was actually getting ready to mention because right, not everybody is in a... a, a a two-person couple, yeah. right? Not all relationships look like that standard. So yes, I have worked with polyamorous folks. I'm always happy to work with them, right? I think there's a movement in the MFT field to start being more progressive in the way we talk about it. Yeah. I like to say I'm a relational therapist, but I'm not necessarily a marriage and family therapist. Oh, I love that. Because not every not every relationship is marriage either. No. I And I feel like we're moving as a society, and maybe you know more about this, but we're even moving a little bit away from that. Definitely. That's yeah. interesting. Um, so as we kind of touch on, you know, whether you're with individuals or couples or um, relationships, 
in general, are there certain patterns that you see or certain things that you kind of see on a routine basis? Yeah, I think it depends on what folks are coming in for, right? So I do tend to specialize, um, like you said, in individuals and couples, right? With couples, I'm generally working on communication, right? There's Mm. some, we're just missing each other, what's happening? I don't experience that either. It's not my problem. <laughs> what? Yeah, but like we're missing each other or and right, we're experiencing a lot of stress outside of a relationship and we we know it's affecting us and how we are relating and connecting, but we don't know how to fix it, right? Or right and and right can be all the above. Um, mm-hmm. We're going through this new transition, right? We're hitting a certain age, or we're, we're bringing kids into the picture, or kids are leaving the nest, right? There's all these different transitions that are happening, and what do we do with that, right? We're kind of rebuilding our relationship. Yeah. Um, so I've done, I've kind of done everything with couples from that communication piece, from you know couples who are just trying to make it work, and they're bringing a lot of stuff in from their old relationships or their families of origin um, to we don't really know each other anymore. The kids have all gone to college and now it's just you and I in the house and what do we do with that? Now I have to pretend to like you. Mm -hmm. So I would love, I would love to give my little personal story here. I have gone to individual therapy for decades and I've been with my individual therapist currently um, for about 10 years. Um, she's helped me through all sorts of funky things in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was on the brink of leaving the relationship that I'm in now. And it was kind of a cool situation, actually. Um, co- uh, not cool at the time, but now looking back, I was really frustrated. And Travis and I were looking at splitting. And then it was almost by miracle. <laughs> that the woman I had called a week prior to set up couples therapist, she called as he was leaving. And I thought, well, there's, I mean, there's no other sign. You can't, you can't, there's no other better sign than this. We need, I need to take this call and we need to set up couples therapy. And my intention, you can ask Travis, I've always thought, oh, well, I've been working on myself for many decades in individual therapy. I'm perfect. <laughs> and you are going to get in trouble, Travis. And I was so excited for him to get in trouble at couples therapy. Uh-huh. And so I wasn't nervous at all. I'm pretty sure he was nervous. And most people feel some nervousness around it. Um, turns out that uh, I was the culprit. And I was the one that needed to do the work. And I, both of us needed to do some work. But I was the one that really needed to make some adjustments. And it was very eye-opening because I had gone through decades of therapy with an individual. But what I learned is that I can sit in a room by myself and skirt around the issue really well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, if this is true with all therapists, but my therapist is very good at fishing out what I'm trying to avoid. But even still, the difference between me sitting in a room next to Travis where I can't ignore the issue that he's going to bring up that I really just would not, like, I'd prefer not to talk about. It's so much different. And you touched on this earlier, too. Now you're sitting in a room with the person that you love, probably the most in the whole world, wide world, and, and a third party, and it's such a different dynamic. And that's kind of 
nerve-wracking. Yeah, it's nerve-wracking. And and one of the reasons that couples come in is because it is the most important person in the world, right, Mm -hmm. to you, right? Because you have what we call that attachment to them, right? And that's what makes everything so hard, right? That's why you're having such a hard time, right? I'm guessing if you were miscommunicating with, you know, your coworker, right, or the person at the grocery store, right, or even your classmate from college that you're friends with, but you see once in a while, right, now that you're older, you know, it's it's one of those things where, yes, there's, there's a sting, maybe there's some stuff that comes up, but it's nothing like what you experience with your partner. Yeah, and that's because of a little thing we like to call attachment theory. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense because I had a roommate before I lived with Travis, and we got along so well, and I, if she didn't take the trash out, it never bothered me. But my God, if Travis doesn't take the trash out, I'm just like shooting laser beams out of my eyes at him. And so, and that would explain, <laughs> that would explain that there's a theory behind that, why Travis gets laser eyes, whereas my previous roommate, we never had any issue. I, there was no stickiness whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Different different relationship dynamic. So if it's okay, could I go into attachment theory? Because I just like put something I'm, out there and then I, I didn't love explain that. it. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. So attachment theory is, you know, you're asking like my, what patterns I see and I work with couples and individuals and I didn't get to individuals, but like the attachment piece is really what I'm always working on with so, so many of my clients whether it's in a couple, whether it's in the individual, it just depends on how it is that I'm working with them. And attachment theory has been around for a while. Um, It's basically talking about how our nervous systems, right, are not all that evolved (laughs) from, you know, the mammals that we are and the animals that we used to be, right? We attach um, biologically through our nervous system to our parents, to our caregivers, right? That's how it's formed, right? And that's, that's why babies stay alive and are kept alive, right? Because our parents are the ones that take care of us. So that attachment that is created is, is truly how life continues to wow. a degree. Um, and the interesting thing about humans is that we haven't evolved for our attachment systems to work differently as adults than they do as children. Whoa. <laughs> so you bring in this attachment is it a, a style? Yeah, is style it? is perfect. Okay. Yep. And there's different styles, of course. But yeah, you have that same nervous system, attachment style, um, impression, et cetera, that you had as a child. You tend to bring that into your romantic relationships. So that's why, you know, especially when we're younger, right, we're attached to our first love, right, or maybe the, the love we wish we had but doesn't love us back. And it feels like we're going to die. Yeah. That's because it's the very same feeling that we get if our parents were to walk out on us and leave us in the desert, we would die without them. Whoa. And, and this is all figurative, right? Yeah. And there are, there are some very real attachment wounds that people have suffered from their parents that creates what we call trauma. Okay. Right. And trauma, the definition I use, and this is, I do a lot of trauma work with my individuals. And of course, trauma comes up, right, as an attachment wound with a lot of my couples, right? Trauma is anything that overwhelms the nervous system's ability to regulate itself. That's the definition I use. Interesting. I'm hearing more and more about trauma and how it can be small traumas. What do they call it? 
small T. Yeah, small T, big T. Yeah. Yeah. And we're learning more and more, you know, PTSD is definitely a diagnosis that's out there. Again, I don't diagnose, but I work with these labels because they help us categorize and have shared meaning around things. But CPTSD, so complex post-traumatic distress syndrome, is something that we see um, a lot, right, especially in in populations that have experienced a lot of oppression, right, Mm -hmm. but also individuals who have experienced like little small T traumas, right, little pieces of neglect or abandonment or abuse throughout their lives, right, when it's these little pieces happen over and over and over again. Um, if someone, you know, grew up the first 10, 10 years of their life without water in their home, right, that can that can create this condition of complex uh, trauma, right, mm-hmm. that is really hard to, to process and come out of and work with. People do it all the time because our bodies are amazing things, right? Our nervous systems are constantly working to be able to help us heal in wow. the best way possible. Yep. And when I work with trauma, basically what I'm doing is I'm helping someone's body, right? Somebody who already has all the tools get unstuck with that trauma, right? A lot of times trauma is is kind of stuck in the nervous system. It's truly like a biological injury to the nervous system. That makes sense. And how would, as an individual, because I'm sure part of the listening population would also think like, well, I don't need therapy. how would what signs would you look for in that scenario where maybe your nervous system was overloaded yeah but from personal experience i know i'm really good at pushing it down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And i'm sure most people are oh yeah right because we also live in a modern world where we have to go to our jobs right we have to pay our bills and function and survive right and again like that's the body trying to help us survive right the body is always trying to help us i believe it doesn't always know how (laughs) yeah right and sometimes it needs help but um you know I am not the type of therapist that says everybody should be in therapy. I think that would be wonderful, but different people need different things and different people heal in different ways. And so I really, I like to acknowledge that I'm a social worker. Self-determination is one of our most important values, right? Self-determination of the client. Client's going to know what's best, right? Mm -hmm. And, right, when people are experiencing a lot of trauma responses, right, kind of those moments when their their brains flip into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, and they're not feeling that control, over what's happening, Mm -hmm. you know, they're experiencing a lot of trauma responses. They don't really understand maybe why they're reacting in the way they're reacting, right? Let's say, you know, your partner gets mad, right? But not in like a really angry way, but just like a, oh, they're miffed, you know? And suddenly they're like, you know what? I'm gonna go walk away and calm down. Very healthy way of handling something. They're communicating, they're gonna go take care of themselves. And maybe hopefully they would say, and I'll be back in 20 minutes. That's something I teach a lot of couples. Um, Because we need that, right? But if you have an attachment wound around, you know, somebody withdrawing or any kind of neglect, right? And again, this is, this isn't something to say like, oh, somebody's parents were terrible. It's right. It's just how you experienced these different things in your body. Mm -hmm. You might start feeling like, oh my gosh, if we don't figure this out right now, it's not going to be okay. I'm not going to be okay. Right. And you can just feel that kind of energy rising, that heat rising, right? All that fear coming in. Mm-hmm. That's a really good indicator that there's more happening maybe in the relationship, right? Or within you than kind of your your everyday, you know, run of the mill. I'm not feeling too good. <laughs> yeah. And that makes sense. So if you're experiencing maybe those higher responses yeah. to something that maybe not every like that seem Mm-hmm. greater than you would otherwise see. That kind of brings me back a little bit with um, attachment styles, because from what I know, 
from attachment styles, that is a type of attachment. Yes, yes. Is, is that anxious? Um, so anxious attachment, yes. You're going to try to like seek to be with the person in distress, right? You're going to want to kind of go after that person if they're withdrawing. With a, with um, Withdrawing is often called avoidant attachment, right? Um, and then, of course, you know, there's secure attachment, right? Which secure, these are all adult attachment styles. Um, Diane Hellerpool has a really great website where you can take a quiz and find out your attachment style. Um, but secure attachment is whenever, you know, it is what it sounds like, right? You're really secure in it. You're going to have more balanced behaviors towards any type of threat to your attachment, you know, or perceived threat. It's not going to feel as big, right? It's not like you're not going to get upset, right, when your partner is gone. Yeah. But it's it's way more grounded, mm. right? And there's, you know, another type of attachment style that's generally what we talk about with kiddos, and I cannot think of the name off the top of my head, um, but it's a, it's a combination of both, okay. right? So a combination of both the anxious and the avoidant. Okay. And it can kind of depend on, you know, what's happening. And an important thing to remember is all these attachment styles can change. You're not like stuck with one attachment style your entire life, right? We have what's called earned secure attachment. So maybe you didn't grow up with really secure um, attachment relationships with your caregivers, right? Or they got damaged along the way and they weren't repaired. But you can actually heal your attachment, right? through self-attachment, through work with a therapist, to be able to kind of earn that secure attachment back. Is that kind of the goal is to, with their, is that in general with therapy, can I make a blanket statement, Mm -hmm. is that we're kind of working toward building that secure attachment style? I believe so, right? I do a lot of, I do a lot of trauma work or anxiety work or just life's transition development right I have a lot of 23 year olds for some reason in my practice right now and right like that existential moment of I've graduated college is this all my life is (laughs) that's a lot right um but yeah, I see that a lot. And that is what we're trying to do. And with what we're trying to do with couples as well, right? A lot of couples don't have that secure attachment with each other, right? Or maybe they did, but something happened along the line, right? Maybe some of those other cumulative effects of life came in, right? From our families of origin or from some really hard knocks at work or again, just daily life. It doesn't have to be something really big for you to need help, right? Mm-hmm in kind of establishing that more secure connection together. And that's something I really love working with couples and partners on is just how do we kind of come back to that mm, ooey melty place. Yes. There's my one of my supervisors, uh, Eli Hardwood. She's actually attachment nerd on Instagram. I guess she's getting a little Instagram famous. Um, okay. But she likes to call it like getting to that melty place. Like where can we get to that ooey gooey melty place together that is, feels good? Is that something that can be expected in any relationship, whether you've been together for five months or 50 years. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And that's not to say it needs to be like super ooey gooey saccharine sweet because that's not everybody's style, yeah. right? You're going to have as many different relationships as you are going to have individuals. What I like to do is kind of remind folks, it's going to be what works for you and your partner or mm-hmm. partners, right? Mm-hmm. It's really what kind of relationship do you want to build together? Yeah, there's two different people here. You can create something completely unique and completely satisfying to both of you, right, as we work work together. That's so inspiring, too, because it's like, yeah, what do we want to make? And it doesn't have to fit into what, you know, because you hear these messages like, oh, relationships are boring after this period or Mm -hmm. whatnot, because they have evolved. You know, they do evolve. Absolutely. I know from personal experience. And and yet there's a closeness that you, I'm assuming, that you get over the years. Yeah. At least from my experience. That's different from the beginning, maybe mm-hmm. not as 
roller coaster. Right. Not as much roller coaster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say you shared some interest in Gottman before, right? And mm-hmm. and Gottman, as well as other researchers, I've really found there's multiple stages of a relationship. Again, I'm not much of a details person, so I couldn't tell you all of them. But it is very, very typical the way that relationships evolve, okay. right? And we get to kind of like there's generally, depending on what you're reading and who you're talking about, there's three different levels, mm-hmm. right? That first level is that like, oh, wow, whirlwind, you know, like infatuation, love, we're amazing, right? And that second level is kind of where we get to that power and control piece of, hmm, where are we? Who's in charge? Who's wearing the pants? <laughs> uh-huh. Right? We hear that all the time. Uh-huh. Um, and that's that's usually a make or break place for relationships. And the interesting thing about level two is that, um, you know, that can last a short while, right? And this couple is clearly not going to work out or this these set of partners aren't going to work out because of they can't figure it out, right? They're just not the right fit and that's okay. And, right, some folks are in that that level forever, not forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, was, that was a little over-exaggeration, <laughs> but they can be in that level for years, right, um, before they can kind of get to that level three, which is really where that connection is so secure, right, that confidence is there, right? They're able to kind of figure out the roles that they need and want in the relationship and be there for each other. You know, think about like these older couples who are just like so confident in each other and just they, you know, you see them and like, oh, have they always been this way? Right. And no, probably not. They probably had to work for it in some way, shape or form at some time. Right. But that's really that place where you kind of come to that acceptance and you start to love that person, not just for what they can do for you, but who they are. Oh, that's amazing. That. And that kind of loops me back to, you know, what do you look for? What signs do you look for internally or maybe within your relationship where you would start to seek therapy? Mm-hmm. That would that for me would be one of them. Absolutely. I want stage three or phase three. I would like that. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah, because you don't always have to be in crisis to seek out therapy. I think there is this... And, you know, I, I, even I spoke to it, right? Here I am complicit in that idea. That's all I shared earlier. But there's this idea that you need to be in crisis in order to seek help, mm-hmm. right? Or people only seek help because something is wrong and they can't do it themselves, right? It's part of the system we live in, right? That rugged individualism that is not always the yep. most healthy. <laughs> um, but the the cool thing about therapy, right, is um, – I had an instructor back in grad school that talked about, David Blair actually, that talked about um, this is, you know, why couples therapy is so helpful uh, because it's a three-legged stool, right? So, you know, again, there are all types of couples, all types of relationships, and I'm I'm not speaking to all of those right now, but there is something about a three-legged stool that is so much more sturdy than just two folks trying to work on it together. All right, and whatever that dynamic is. And it's natural to want some help with that, to want some resources, right? We are not taught the tools about how to do this from our parents right from our grandparents from the media none of that is all that helpful i think social media with all the therapists being out there and all the research that we've been doing in the last 20 30 years has been really helpful to spread that education and spread some of that knowledge but we all know reading about something is different than actually practicing it a hundred percent I can, I can read about doing sit-ups all day long, <laughs> but that sure isn't going to give me six-pack abs. <laughs> oh, I like cookies too much to have six-pack abs. Mm-hmm. Cookies are better. Yes, they totally are. So, okay, and that, that makes sense. You know, once somebody kind of determines 
yes, I want, you know, phase three, or I really want to work on this little T trauma or big T trauma. What would your recommendation be in terms of finding a therapist? That's such a great question, right? So we talked earlier about how, like, there's so many letters. What do they mean? And yeah. and there are different philosophies about how they work. But, you know, again, also, what trainings have they taken? What is their own philosophy? And it is hard to find a therapist. I just really want to acknowledge that. We always talk about how the most important part of healing, the most important indicator of change in the therapeutic relationship, so the relationship between a therapist and their client or client system, is the goodness of fit, right? Is that therapeutic relationship? Are you a good fit? So first and foremost, I just really want to encourage everybody to just, you know, know that the goodness of fit is the most important part of what you're going to get out of this, right? If you feel safe, right, if you feel like you can be brave and talk about this, or let's say one of you says the wrong things, right? Therapists are people too. There's mm-hmm. some of those like open mouth insert foot moments. I'm, I am human. <laughs> I am not perfect. I wish I was, but I will never be a fairy godmother. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday when I grow up. Yeah. Um, but right, if you can repair, if your therapist is going to repair with you, if they slip up, right, or if they maybe poke a little bit too hard, a little bit too long, right? We're supposed to do that. And, right, we also need to make sure that we're, we're not ca- causing undue harm. Okay. If you can repair out of that rupture, that's, that's the sign of a really good therapist, mm. right? And when you're looking at psychology today or you're asking your friends for referrals, right, for therapists, um, you know, it really depends on what you want to look for, right? If you are trying to work on your anxiety or you're looking at, you know, deepening your relationship and your connection, or you don't really know why you feel the way you do, you just really know that you feel it and you need some help, right? We've all been there. Um, You know, I would suggest kind of looking for a therapist who's relational. Um, That is a personal bias, but I do think relational therapists know how to really see the full picture. Um, look at how they talk about their specialties, right? If they're like, I really specialize in helping young adults, you know, prepare for the workplace and overcome their fears. And that does not fit you. That does not fit you. And that's okay, right? Um, I know there's also a piece around finances, right? A lot of therapists here in Denver are more private pay um, versus um, taking insurance. And there's some really important reasons that people have those distinctions it's maybe not the right place to get it to get into that but you know that's something to look for too right like if you want to use your insurance it makes sense that you want to use your insurance and so making sure that you're looking for folks um in your provider or that will provide you with a super bill if they don't take insurance um, to try to help you compensate with that and that makes sense i have found uh, you and my all of my previous therapists since i was itty bitty <laughs> have always been referrals how would somebody know if it, if they were the right fit you know apart from looking at a bio do, are there ever, ever consultations or do you call or what, what does that look like? Yeah, so I am always excited. So I offer free consultations. Pretty much everybody I know in this field does at this point. If they don't, you would I would ask for one. Okay. Um, and they're usually like 15-minute phone calls, 20-minute phone calls. Everybody is different. Do my 15 minutes turn into 20 minutes all the time? <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Right? It's all I have the time. Yeah, I'm a talker. Um, but... Really, there's a lot that you can do to get a vibe, to use the young people's language, um, do a vibe check on your therapist, right? Yeah. So uh, really important questions are, you know, 
who do you generally work with? What's your style, right? How long have you been in the field? Which can be important and cannot be important, right? Like there are there are newer therapists who can hold space for a client so amazingly, right? I'm in, I work for um, a training, a therapist training institute. So I get to like witness these brand new green therapists just do amazing work, oh. right? And I've also witnessed, you know, therapists who have been in the field for a long time and not do amazing work. So again, like it, I, you know, Take that with a grain of salt. It can be helpful knowledge depending on what you're looking for. Mm. But ask them, you know, like, what is their philosophy with clients? You know, like, how do they work with clients? Um, if there's anything in particular that you are hoping to get help for, like, ask them if they've seen that before. Mm. You know, what would a typical session with them look like? What can um, you expect from them as far as communication? Right. And time for you. That's an important part because some people have an expectation um, that they can call their therapist at any point. And some therapists are okay with that. And some really don't have the time for that. Right. And so different different styles of working with clients. That's interesting. So in the show notes, I will put a link to your website. So if Mm -hmm. anybody wants to touch base with you, they're welcome to. And what I have found and this might be post-COVID, and maybe this was pre-COVID, is that a lot of times there's more virtual therapy. Yes, that's the one of the the silver linings of uh, COVID and the pandemic is we found out how much we can do with technology actually, right? Um, I see clients both in person and uh, via teletherapy. Mm-hmm. So my own personal therapist I had been seeing for a couple of years before COVID virtually. Um, so I was very comfortable with it from the, cl- from the client side and it didn't feel like too much to start doing it from the clinician side. Um, but it really depends on everybody's preference, right? Some folks, some therapists work really well online. Um, I find I have no issue tracking people somatically. I'm a very sensitive person in general. I, I really attune to people. Um, it's one of my strengths, I think, as a therapist. And some people have a hard time with that. So they do better in person, right? Um, also depends on your internet connection and if you have you know, privacy in your home or wherever you'll be taking um, this, these calls or doing therapy. But it is really amazing that folks can get the help they need, right? Can get that support um, from a therapist no matter where they are these days. The thing I found when we started couples therapy, we did it online and it's great because you don't have to find a babysitter. Yes. You don't have to cram it into days, you know, mm-hmm. times when the kids are um, home. Or, yeah, it's yeah. great. So there was something, it was a little bit weird at first, for sure, mm-hmm. because I, for so many years I had done it in person, but I love that that's out there. So I will um, list your website in the show notes um, for that reason. And that reminds me too, you mentioned a couple other things earlier, the attachment style quiz, the, um, Diane Hellerpool? Yes, P-O-O-L-E. P-O-O-L-E. I would love to put that quiz up there um the attachment nerd i would like to put up there um i think that those would be great resources and the next question i would have would be specific to what do therapy sessions look like right that question that i said everybody should ask right um and it really depends on the therapist right Mm -hmm. so Starting with a therapist might look different session-wise than, you know, being 12 weeks into um, a therapy session. Now, I am I'm a very relational therapist, so I'm not kind of one of those therapists that say, all right, six weeks, you're good. No, we're, we're forming a relationship, right? Yeah. And some folks do, and that's wonderful, right? Like, I think that there's a, a really important place for that. But with me, right, 
I like to start working with clients rather slowly, right? Because again, that trust in the therapeutic relationship is the most key piece of change in doing this healing work and being able to heal. So I like to say, hey, let's let's get to know each other, but let's do it slowly, right? So kind of tell me what's going on, but don't tell me everything, right? Let's let's gently roll into this in a few sessions. No verbal diarrhea on the first session. <laughs> Got it. Which sometimes that will happen anyways, and that's okay, right? I'm not going to say anything's wrong, yeah. um, but just kind of building that trust because we've all had that, t- that, you know, experience of, oh, I shared my whole life story and now I'm in a vulnerability hangover. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know if I trust this other person as much because I had to tell them so much. That's interesting because I've had patients come in the first time they come in and I usually try to divert how much they tell me the first session yeah. because otherwise I think that they get what the vulnerability hangover. It totally makes sense because then I can almost guarantee I won't see them again. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's happened for years and years. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we're, we're all that way, right? Yeah. Vulnerability is hard, right? And it's hard to trust others that we don't know, yeah. especially when you, even though you're hiring me <laughs> yeah. to, like, help you with these pieces, it's it's hard. It's hard to share some of these things and have these, these big feelings, right, before you've really formed an attachment yeah. with your therapist. And generally, that's what we're doing. We're forming a type of attachment bond right Mm -hmm. Um, and it needs to be secure and it needs to be safe right because that's where the healing can happen when our nervous systems are feeling safe so for individuals i say let's give it like three sessions to see how how a good fit uh, we are how it's feeling you know if i'm not the right person that's okay right i'm a bit goofy um you've probably gathered that a little bit from today i'm also very serious and caring but i'm goofy so i like to infuse our sessions with humor mm-hmm. and some giggles here and there i find giggles to be very grounding for individuals not everybody but for lots of folks yeah. um and then a typical session might be you know with an individual and i'll talk about couples here in a second with an individual hey let's do a short you know 10 15 minute check-in right and that check-in might start with grounding might not start with grounding it really just depends on the individual right because I think the individual knows what they need right and I have a bunch of tools in my toolbox so I have tools for those for those individuals Um, and then we start picking up on either you know what are we working on right now what are the goals that we've kind of set forth for each other in this work Um, or what's been going on that's coming up lately is there something more important that came up in the last week or two that we need to discuss so I know this because my sister actually got her undergrad in psychology. Hmm. And I remember not just me, but also other people were like, oh, is she analyzing me? All the time. Like, how do you, how do you feel comfortable going into somebody? Because in my opinion, therapy is great. You are paying someone to just listen to you. Just little. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> it, it's fantastic. Yeah. I love, I love therapy and I don't see it as intimidating, partially because it was something I grew up with. So I knew um, that tool from a very young age and it wasn't intimidating to me. Mm. But so to me, I'm like, ooh, I get to talk and this person, first of all, has no biases. Yes. Like they're not taking my side like a friend would. They're, this person is just there to be like, you're, you shouldn't have said that. And this is probably what we we should be working on or good job you're in the right direction you know like and they're and they don't take my side they don't take anybody else's side they're just giving you real advice um which is different than what you would get from your mother or Mm -hmm. your friends and I think that is of great value so how does that look from 
a perspective of coming in and wanting to talk about yourself, but then also not wanting to say too much or having somebody else basically judge you is kind of, I think, what the nervousness might be around. Absolutely, right. And a lot of us have, you know, sensitivity to rejection for lots of different reasons, right? Um, And it's, there's a lot of fear, especially I think with young people, right? I have young people in my life who are terribly afraid of being judged all the time. And, you know, it's, it's something important to remember. One, if your therapist is judging you, they may not be the right therapist. And I would be very concerned. <laughs> um, and yes, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, two, and that's happened. I've had clients who have come in and said, hey, like, I had this really terrible experience with this couples therapist that said it was all my fault. And, um, you know, I had these concerns and I wasn't listening to him. I'm like, yeah, that's not a good therapist. Mm. Let's unpack that and heal that. Um, I did have a therapist tell me that if I just accepted Jesus into my heart, everything would go away. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> maybe not that exactly, but very similar types of, yeah. And sure, maybe that's great for some folks, but it's not going to be great for everybody. Again, I have my own personal bias around that. And I am a human. But there's also that piece around, you know, we are trained as clinicians. A good therapist has unconditional positive regard for all of their clients. You know, we may, we're not going to be judging you as a human. We, we are going to be helping you figure out, you know, the things that make you tick, right? Why you do the things you do, helping you understand that. But that's not coming from a judgmental place. Um, I, ha- I can't help it. I love every single client I have. It's just they're such cool people, right? And here they are, and I get to know them, and we get to work together, and they're doing the best they can, right, yeah. with the tools they have, and they're, they're working hard at it. How can you not respect that? How can you not think that's so cool? I love this work very clearly. I'm yeah. very glad that I'm I'm in this field. Um, that wasn't an accident, I'm sure. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but that judgment piece, right? Of course, it comes up, and and I have clients who struggle with that, and we talk about it in session, right? Like that fear of, oh my gosh, I feel like you're judging me for saying that, and and I will do some reassurances, right? Or I will clarify what's happening for me. I'm not one of those therapists. I'm not a psychoanalytic fan, uh, therapist that says how does that feel? And I have no facial expression. <laughs> I mean, Amber, you're looking at me right now. I have yeah. the most facial expressions. Yes. <laughs> um, but because I'm a real human, right? Again, I'm I'm a relational therapist, right? But I'm not going to judge you for being human. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think that can take some of that scariness that we were talking about earlier, scariness out of not just the individual, but also the couples. Yeah. And with couples, it does look different. Right. Whenever I start with couples, I typically do in the beginning a two one one two scenario. Right. So I want to see and it could be three. Right. Again, if we're talking about polycules or however that looks, um, you know, I want to have all the partners in the room together. One, we're going over all of the mandatory reporting and, you know, my practice policies and you know the housekeeping stuff. That's actually very important. Right. What are your rights? Where are things confidential? Where are things not confidential? Yeah. Basically, any time that you know, you are not in danger, in immediate danger, impending danger to yourself or others, or there's not um, active child abuse or, or a history of child abuse neglect happening where, you know, that could still happen now. Everything we talk about is completely, you know, private, right? In consultation and supervision, I may talk about a client, um, but I will never use identifying information, right? So everything is private, except if I have to, right? Because I'm a mandated reporter. Um, But we talk about kind of all the housekeeping things, you know, kind of 
what this is going to look like, answer any questions. And then I like to start with, you know, important things about the relationship. Some couples I'm like, tell me about how you met. Sometimes I wait till the second joint session to ask that question. Um, what are we here to work on? What do you want to do? And then the next time I see the partners, I'm going to see them individually. Now there's a couple of reasons for that. One, it really helps me to get to know you as an individual. What are you like without your partner there, right? Mm-hmm. What is maybe something that's harder to talk about in front of your partner that we're going to bring up at some point down the road, right? I don't keep secrets, but sometimes we need help talking about these things, right? Or sometimes it's not always easy to talk about something even if you've already talked about it with your partner. I do that with each client. And it also helps me to make sure that there's no DV happening, right? I don't work with clients with active um, domestic violence happening or intimate partner violence just because that's just not my specialty, right? There are some amazing clinicians that do that work. It's just not me, (laughs) right? Um, And again, that safety of environment is the most important piece. So then after those two individual sessions, we come back together and that's where the work really starts. I get to know you as a couple as well as an individual. By that point, we start planning out our goals, right? What do we want to be working on? What could that look like? Mm-hmm. What are some things that we, we need to kind of have in place? Some reassurances either from me or from each other. And then we start to do the work, right? Yeah. Couples sessions look very similar to individual sessions. We might do a quick check-in, right? Kind of everybody feels comfortable. Is there anything that came up that we really need to address right now? And then we start to work on whatever the goals are. And some of the things that we get into are just really emotionally charged, right? So I at least try to take it down a notch before we leave or have a plan for everybody to ground after session. I like that. And and based on your experience, would you say that most people have kind of a structure of how often they do couples or individual therapy? Or is it very by person, maybe. I had this very same question actually at a session earlier today, and I'm like, well, it depends. <laughs> Therapist answer. Perfect. Right. Um, I typically like to see folks uh, weekly, at least to start, right? Um, I'm well aware that schedules and finances and life happen, and it's hard sometimes to meet weekly. I think weekly can be the best, especially when we're really trying to dig in and, and practice some of the skills that we're working on, or there's there's something big happening and it's going to take some unpacking, right? So I at least like to have, I don't know, three to five in a row that are weekly. One that also establishes the relationship that I have with the with the system, right? The individual, the couple, the partners. Yeah. And um, after that, right, it really depends, again, schedule, structure. Um, in an ideal world, we wouldn't have to worry about those things, but that is what it is. Yeah. Um, it really depends on how much time do you need in between session, right? Some couples come only bi-weekly at this point because they've really done the work, and at this point, they're just practicing skills, yeah. right? And there's not a lot to, to go over every week. But some folks also, man, what we talk about in session is so heavy and, and so charged right now that it's actually a little bit too much for our nervous systems to be in every week. And it's it's maybe not helpful for the relationship. So let's kind of scale it back a little bit and you know see if this is more appropriate. Do you ever find that people graduate from therapy and mm-hmm. they no longer maybe need it as frequently? Yeah, and again, it depends, right? But yes, I think all of my clients that I've been working with for a couple years or so now um, have, have down downgraded, for lack of a better word, um, 
in some way, shape, or form, awesome. right? And I think when people, you know, it depends on what people are working on, right? Sometimes we accomplish one goal and then we go on to the next, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes it's appropriate to take a pause, right? Like, let's, I'm doing really good. I really worked through a lot of the stuff. I'm feeling really healed. Maybe I just need to pause right now and enjoy life, right? And I'll come back right when I'm ready or if I need that extra support. Some folks are more like, yep, let's just come in once a month. I just need that kind of maintenance, right, to kind of keep me going. I know from my individual standpoint, um, I touched base with her. I mean, I must have saw her every two weeks to a month for years, and then I needed a break, um, mostly because I was pregnant and I was just trying to figure out life. But then, you know, we took a pause, and when I went back, she still knows everything you know, there's no, like that, that history didn't go away. It's like a good friend. You meet yeah. back up and you pick up from where you left off. She all, she knows all of the, the backstories and all of that. And so it was nice because I still have that relationship. And if I need to pause, then I pause and then I come, come back. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. And sometimes it's also appropriate to see a new therapist, right? Sometimes you need fresh eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Or you need, um, you know, a different focus than or a different style from the therapist that you had before and that's okay too I know I've had clients sometimes that are like afraid to leave the relationship like oh. don't break up with me I'm like I'm not breaking up with you yeah. I really just think you're you're at a great place right now right or maybe this is something that's not in my wheelhouse and I don't feel as strong in it and you know this referral might actually be way way better for you um, for this particular piece that you're wanting to work on and at that's this, okay at this time that makes sense so um Switching gears just a little bit, based on kind of the patterns you see, and I know you mentioned some some things about the attachment styles, is there anything that you recommend to your patients or that maybe you could recommend for the listeners that's like a simple routine that can kind of help in these ways yeah. to help someone feel either more grounded yeah, definitely. As you say grounded, I'm like, yes, regulation. <laughs> we could all use more resourcing, grounding, and regulation, right? And when I say regulation, I'm talking about, you know, the the nervous system, the vagal, um, polyvagal theory here, um, the system's ability to kind of come back to that, like, happy middle, right? Okay. Where we're not in fight, flight, or freeze. We're not in um, a fawning response, right? We're just kind of in that happy, socially engaged place. Um, and socially engagement doesn't mean, you know, we're talking. It just means that we're open, mm-hmm. right? We're at peace. We're feeling really in our bodies, really centered. And no matter what you're working on, either individually or in a relationship, that ability to regulate yourself, mm-hmm. right, to kind of give yourself what you're looking for from others is really, really, really important. So there's there's lots of different tools, right? And I'm sure some of your listeners are already doing some of them, right? There's meditation, there's yoga, there's exercise, there's drinking healthy water, there's getting skincare, right? The self-care pieces. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of tools that I teach clients to try to help get them back into that ventral vagal, that socially engaged, that grounded place. I think what works for you is what works for you, mm-hmm. right? I do a lot of um, grounding meditations um, with my clients if that's something they want to do. I've also had clients walk in and say, I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll do something else, right? That's no problem. Um, So find something that works for you. I really like to have folks do bilateral tapping. So I am EMDR trained. And uh, EMDR is eye movement um, desensitization and reprocessing, I think. 
quiz me on that. Um, but um, bilateral stimulation has really just been shown to be really calming to the body. And it's a somatic practice. It's used in EMDR, but it can be used to help, you know, kind of program in your nervous system those good feelings Whoa. as well as get unstuck some of the really not so good feelings okay. um and you know there's lots of different tapping out there again i just say what works works what works for you works um, but bilateral tapping is something so simple and so um you can do it on your collarbone kind of alternating crossing your arms okay. and alternating taps on your collarbone very gently okay. right and slower sometimes the better especially as you're trying to calm and just do that for like 30 seconds at a time, maybe doing that up to three or five minutes, taking a breath and a pause in between each set. Um, there are other places that you can do that if this doesn't feel good, right? I like to, I'm an arms person, so I like to do it on the outside of my biceps, just kind of in that like cross-armed pose. Wow. Yeah, or your, your thighs work. Um, there's also a lot of, um, bilateral stimulation audio tracks on Spotify and YouTube that do the same thing, right? And um, that can really be calming for the body. Walking is such a great way of getting that cross-lateral stimulation. So there's bilateral as well as cross-lateral stimulation in the body. It's basically just helping the nervous system say, hey, I'm okay, mm. I'm safe, right? Yeah, if you have any particular links that you would, you know, that you recommend either from yeah. YouTube or, or anything that would link to that so that people can get an idea, listeners can get an idea of what that looks like because that is such an easy ad. Yeah. It doesn't take any extra time. You could just be doing it while you're sitting, probably not while you're driving. But no, no, do it while you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when you're in a place like before bed, right? Or mm. what if something really wonderful happened and that feeling of being like safe is in your body, tap with that. Give yourself oh. that. Because what we're doing is, is this is gonna get clinical, we are strengthening your vagal break. Wow. <laughs> um, again, this is all polyvagal theory. That's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> Deb Dana and Stephen Forges are the ones who came up with polyvagal theory and there's lots out there. And it's, again, kind of like attachment theory. Um, it's very integral in how I work and how I look at the world. Um, but um, basically it's a way of, stimulating your vagus nerve, right? Mm -hmm. Telling your nervous system that you're safe, right? The the somatic piece of touching, right? Especially, I find, that's how I like to do EMDR in general. I think the somatic piece is the most um, helpful way of connecting the mind and body and activating the vagus nerve compared to other things, but other things work too. Again, everybody's different. I love this. Even just earlier this week, I was having a little bit of a mental breakdown and sometimes I have, like, I can't logic my way through the fight or flight. Yeah, absolutely. And so one more tool to try. I mm -hmm. love this. Yeah. See, all of my patients will come and see me. <laughs> but it's so comforting. And it may not, you know, completely get rid of it, right, yeah. right away. Or it may not, or it may take a while. But that's okay, right? We're not trying to to go for perfection, right? Your yeah. body's in a, a certain state for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. It's in its stress response for a reason. We just want to help it not get stuck in that stress response. And so what bilateral tapping, bilateral stimulation, BLS, can do is help that not get stuck. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Oh, thank you for that. 
Um, and then one personal note, we are coming up about on time. I would love to know if you have a skincare product or routine that you just absolutely love and cannot live without. I love this question because I'm not much of a, like a, a skincare. I'm busy. I'm a therapist, right? <laughs> and the holistic kind of, you know, left brain, very sciencey, right brain, a little bit more woo. Um, there is an apothecary in Portland that I have followed on Instagram for years. Um, and it's called Roots and Crown. And she does some amazing kind of witchy queer um, products. She actually has a, a place in Portland that I would love to visit. But I've again, you can order online. And um, I found last winter, I was having a lot of skin issues, um, both just like, hey, I'm really dry and this is a weird thing, and also kind of this feeling of needing to energetically protect myself more from my environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a body oil. I'm, I'm very particular about lotions and sensations and things like that. And there's a body oil, uh, her rose and cedar body oil that is just magical and it just feels like you're anointing yourself whenever you put it on after the bath it just feels like this kind of energetic shield that I have to face the day and it smells amazing that is fantastic I I know I mentioned this earlier I had seen on Instagram yesterday that they said that um, skincare wasn't self-care or um, uh, retail therapy wasn't self-care and I beg to differ just because I know from personal experience that, that something as simple as a body oil mm-hmm. can help ground you and just make you feel really good. And so I do agree, and this isn't true for everybody, but I love that you have yours. Thank you. And again, right, it's all about intention. With any kind of self-care, right, you're going to get the most out of whatever you're doing if you're bringing that intention to it. So I bring the intention of kind of anointing myself and taking care of myself. And it feels so good, right? I love that. Yeah. Yep. I will put a link to Roots and Crown on on the show notes as well. Um, unless there's anything you would like to touch on, Ayla, I'm so glad we had this conversation and I wasn't exactly sure where this was going to go and it blossomed into something beautiful. So thank you so much for being here and for coming out today. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like, I, you know, I love what I do. I'd love to talk about it and I'm so grateful that I had the chance to talk with you about it and yes. it was just super fun. Thank you so much. And I feel like this is, this little episode can make a difference you know we can send it out and different people can listen to it and maybe connect oh absolutely that's great yeah that'd be wonderful thank you thank you again for tuning in today if you enjoyed this conversation with Ayla and I please subscribe and share my main goal is really to help people feel empowered in their own health whether that be physical or mental or otherwise And if you had a little takeaway from today, perhaps someone else can as well. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.